Hi everyone. Welcome to STEM Sambad, meaning conversations around STEM. I am Tarun Amagawal and before we get started, I would like to warmly welcome the eminent expert who has joined us today for an interactive discussion, Dr. Bhani Gupta. He holds a PhD in economics from University of Michigan Ann Arbor. He's an assistant professor, Department of Economics at Ashoka University. I'll start off by giving a brief about what is STEM Sambad. It is a virtual interactive discussion webinar series hosted with experts from various STEM fields to discuss their journey, opportunities, and what the future looks like. It offers authentic discussions featuring candid dialogues with the senior national and international experts. Now a little about our expert. He's a member of the technical advisory group for the program on Indian economy at UC San Diego, USA. Dr. Gupta's research lies at the intersection of public finance and human capital formation. He's also working in collaboration with different state governments to improve tax compliance. He received his PhD in economics from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor after finishing master's and bachelor's in economics from the University of Delhi. And previously, he's worked at the Indian Statistical Institute, Delhi and International Committee of the Red Cross. Now for a little about me. Uh, I'm a grade 12 student from New Delhi, India, and I'm currently studying science subject. I wanted to combine my interest in STEM with an outreach initiative to spread awareness about different fields, the nuances, and what the future looks like. I also read books and sing sometimes. I would now like to invite Dr. Gupta to provide an overview of his journey of the last... Uh, hi, Tarotipa. So thank you for inviting me uh, for this talk. Um, it's a pleasure and honor to speak uh, here. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I want this to be like an interactive session. So please feel free to interrupt me whenever you want, um, and ask questions. So I just wanted to give a brief idea about my journey, uh, till now, and also give a brief idea about, um, what economics looks like and what are the opportunities within the field. So, uh, as Sarodema was mentioning, uh, I'm an assistant professor of economics at Ashoka University, uh, and I completed my master's and bachelor's from University of Delhi. Um, after that, I did my PhD from University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, uh, uh, which is in US. Um, and I completed this last year, uh, and then I joined as an assistant professor uh, last year. Um, and because this is pandemic year and things are weird, so it, I haven't been to campus, like, in fact, even once, uh, although I finished one year of teaching. Uh, so my areas of interest are development economics and public finance. Um, in Ashoka also, I teach microeconomic theory, and I have started a new course, which is called Public Finance in Developing Countries. Uh, so some of my research focuses on education, gender, uh, public subsidies, and tax policy. Uh, and I will be talking about some areas of tax policy on which I'm working on later in the presentation. So uh, just to give you a brief idea about how I went from India to the US. Um, so essentially, I was working at ISI Delhi uh, with a professor called Abhirup Mukhopadhyay. Uh, and together we wrote a paper on political economy of uh, National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, uh, which is now called uh, Manrega, uh, which is kind of the largest employment guarantee scheme in the world. Um, so we wrote a paper about how, so it's a demand-driven scheme, uh, which means that 
any funds that are allocated to any district should be a function of the demand that is uh, that the demand that the villagers ask in that scheme but what we found was that the ruling political party at that time was manipulating the funds uh, to garner votes in local elections uh, so this paper was a very useful insight on how we could improve the efficiency of working of nrgs and how political parties were manipulating uh, public funds for their own electoral benefits uh, so this paper got some press and it became an important paper uh, and based on this paper and the recommendations of my professors uh, i got selected at u of m um so of course uh, like once i went there like it's one thing sitting here and talking about us but there are a lot of differences once you go there um so the obvious difference is between the climatic conditions so i was in michigan which is super cold um and on the right hand side the picture that you can see i actually clicked it during one of my morning walks from my home to campus um it was like around negative 30 degrees outside uh, i was wearing like two pair of jeans two caps everything and for the first time in my life i could feel my eyelids because they were the only ones that were exposed and uh, it was so cold that they were hurting um so if like of course us is a big country and it depends on uh, where you end up but uh, there are large portions of us which are super cold so that's one thing that really hits you once you land there yeah and of course the other thing is the number of people uh, so we don't realize that how densely populated india is uh, so once you go there you realize like where are all the people like there are all these buildings and streets but why are there so many open spaces uh and no people and especially if you end up being in a college town uh then during holidays so for instance during thanksgiving or during christmas the entire town is like a ghost town uh so that was something which got uh, which took me some time to get used to because here like if i just stretch my arms i bump into five people uh but that really doesn't happen in the us uh and of course like there are cultural differences so the role of cows is very different so here it's kind of an object of worship for many people uh but there uh, usually you see cow in your dinner plate so yeah okay uh so what are some of the academic challenges and opportunities that i face there uh so the challenges are that the us education system is very different from india uh so they usually believe in this continuous evaluation so i have to also taught undergrads in the us uh, for economics uh and there is continuous evaluation like you will be burdened with like three or four problem sets every week uh and each problem set would require like 6 7 hours of concentrated work um so during the semester it's an exhausting process but by the end of the semester like if you trace back your journey uh you will realize that you have learned a lot uh so they actually throw you in the deep end uh pretty soon uh but that's also fun because uh usually you can choose the subjects that you want to study uh and your academic journey is pretty fast uh the other challenge uh, this may not be true for undergraduate studies but uh but still it's a good point to note uh which is that they make you think about new ideas pretty quickly 
So during undergraduate, maybe you will think about new ideas, but you will not have the tools to address those questions. Uh, but you will be asked to innovate and come up with new stuff, uh, which I think is very different from uh, what happens in the Indian education system. And of course, you are uh, your peer group mostly consists of Americans, but it also consists of people from other countries. Uh, and they are all very smart because obviously they have gone through a very rigorous selection process to reach there. Uh, so just keeping up with those incredibly smart peers is a challenge, especially in the beginning. Uh, but there also lies in the opportunity uh, because, uh, because you have incredibly smart peers, so you get to learn from them. Uh, there are incredible amount of resources available. Uh, so that's one thing about US universities that you will never be, uh, you'll, you'll never have any shortfall of resources. Um, and uh, it's also true that if you want to do something, if you want to do some project and you're motivated enough to do it, then somehow or the other resources will follow. Like you will get funding either in the university or outside the university, uh, but professors will make sure that you're able to get those resources. And of course, the biggest perk is traveling. Like you get to travel not only within US, but also attend conferences uh, in Europe, uh, in Latin America, so on and so forth and develop these professional networks, which can go a very long way uh, in your academic and professional journey. Okay, so, uh, so now moving on, uh, I just want to talk briefly about economics. Uh, so there are like these various definitions of economics floating around. Uh, some of you might have economics in your high school. Uh, so one of the most famous economists, Gary Becker, uh, describes an economist as one who combines assumptions of maximizing behavior, stable preferences, and market equilibrium. So this might sound very cryptic and complex for you, uh, and it does for me also. Uh, so I actually prefer the second definition, which is that economics is the only profession where you get rich by telling people why they are poor. Uh, which is, I think, pretty cool and kind of true also in a narcissistic way. Uh, okay, but more seriously, like Esther Duflo, who also won the Nobel, uh, I think, last year in economics. So she describes uh, rather unesthetically uh, that economists are modern day plumbers. And what does she mean by that? She essentially means that uh, as economists are increasingly helping governments design new policies and regulations, they really have to go in depth into what those policies are, uh, when did they originate, why did they originate, and how are they getting implemented. So only when you understand these basic institutional details about policy making, uh, only then you are able to use the tools as an economist uh, to give policy recommendations and better those policies. So a lot of economic research is now grunt work where you are understanding what are the context, what are the details, and then how to improve them. So like in my experience, like a typical project in economics can easily take three to four years, and then to publish it requires another two years. So one project would take like, five to six years, but that's what it requires uh, to do some meaningful work. And 
that's why if, if you get like five papers published in top five journals of economics, uh, you are guaranteed a tenure at Harvard. So just publishing five papers is enough to get tenure in a decent US university, which is very different from other fields where uh, you can publish like five papers in six months. Okay, so just like briefly, I want to talk about my area of research, which is taxes. Um, so you must have heard of the term public economics. It's also called public finance or the cool people just say PF. Um, and it's the study of the role of the government in the economy, right? And this is unrelated to finance, which talks about hedge funds and investment banks and investment strategies. So this is mostly related to the role of government in the economy. Uh, so there are two streams of PF, which is revenue, uh, that is essentially taxes, and then there is expenditure. Uh, so when it comes to uh, expenditure, there are a lot of people doing work, like how do people spend money in health sector, how do people, uh, how does government spend money in education sector, and so on. But there are relatively few economists which work on the revenue side. Uh, that is, how should government collect taxes, what should be the tax instrument that should be used, what should be the optimal tax rate, uh, how should different commodities be taxed at different rates. These are all questions which are tax economist worries about. Uh, but interestingly, they also worry about that how do taxes affect people's behavior? So this is something which we don't realize, but taxes are affecting our behavior in every facet of our life. Uh, so just to give you some examples, uh, so these uh, slides that will follow are actually from Professor Joel Slemrod's uh, lecture in uh, National Tax Association. Uh, so just to give credit to him for these slides. Um, so for instance, taxes affect architecture. So here you can see that the outside facade of the building is very thin as compared to the size of the building, right? And you will often see these kinds of houses in Europe where the front end of the building is very small. And the reason for that was that in 18th and 19th century, uh, property taxes were calculated based on the size of the front end of the building. So because it was incredibly hard for tax, uh, tax officers to go inside people's houses and then figure out that what is the quality of construction, how many bedrooms are there and so on. So they just devised a simple method that we will measure the outside end of the house and then levy a tax on you. So to save those taxes, the architects started building these very deep houses, but with a very small front end. Uh, and this is not just true for Europe, this is also true for some of the Asian countries. So like in Vietnam, uh, where it's very deep, but the front end is just like a balcony. So just to skim on taxes, people try to manipulate the system. Exactly. So that the, the, the basic idea is that taxes affect human behavior. So any kind of economic system can actually affect the way you live, for instance. Yeah, taxes have inspired freedom movements. So this is this famous Dandi march, which was against the salt tax by uh, Gandhiji. Uh, and also like uh, there has been Boston Tea Party, which inspired the American revolution, uh, which was again uh, a protest against a tax. So taxes are hugely political. 
um then of course taxes have inspired movies uh, we know the famous movie lagan uh it has inspired literature so there is something called peeping tom uh, which uh, you can actually check out on wikipedia that what's the origin behind peeping tom but it's related to uh, lady godiva and uh how a person tried to peep into her bedroom and that's why there's this phrase called peeping tom which is again related to taxes so yeah and also there have been some weird taxes across history so just to conclude as you can see this is this was just about taxes and within taxes also there is like a huge literature so even within taxes also people have to specialize like within uh, as like if you are studying direct taxes if you are studying indirect taxes if you are studying tax evasion whether you are doing tax theory versus tax empirics so basically economists study a tremendous range of topics and anything which involves trade offs so for instance whether you want to spend your time hearing this lecture versus watching game of thrones that's a trade off that you have to do on your time it's about incentives so if i do certain thing does the government incentivize me to do that or not so if you go for higher education government gives you subsidies but if you smoke a cigarette government imposes a tax on you but also whenever there is something about optimization so given your scarce resources how do you make the best of them so whenever you are dealing with any of these three things that will come under the purview of economics so because it's the tools that you learn in economics are so generalizable and applicable to so many areas therefore it implies that economists can do a wide variety of jobs uh, and of course we can discuss about that so my suggestion to you would be that if you want to pursue economics then in college or in high school take as many math courses as possible and also most of the economists at some point or the other have to deal with very big data sets um and usually there are these statistical softwares uh, which you use uh, to deal with those data sets so they could be python stata matlab and so on uh even c++ some economists use um so coding would be like learning coding in a more formal way uh would be super useful uh and if somebody has questions about what exact what math courses they should take uh i can talk more about that but taking any math course or taking any computer science course would be super useful uh for your uh, future career so yeah that's all i wanted to say here um and yeah tarunema can also share my uh, email address so if you have any questions please feel free to reach out uh now i'll start off with another kind of informal q and a session so my first question is um let's start off with a very simple one uh, what were your subjects in school and is there any one subject which you dreaded and did you have uh-huh. economics back then like a prop as a proper option in school yeah so that's a uh, that's an interesting question because i did not have economics in high school uh, i never started economics uh, so it was only 9th and 10th uh, and at that time we used to have social studies so there was only 20 marks in sst which was economics uh, so it's it's actually a matter of chance that i started doing undergrad uh, in economics because i think the highest cut off was used to be for economic honors in delhi university 
so that's how I started uh, economics, but I loved it. Uh, and then I just continued doing uh, that. Uh, the subject that I hated was actually maths. So I'm just telling you guys that please do maths, maths, maths. But uh, I just didn't like maths in high school. And I think the reason for that was that I hated learning formulas and just like, you know, just like vomiting them in uh, during the exams. Whereas the kind of maths that you do in economics is more logic based. So maths is basically a language that you are using to write logic and why we write that logic in maths rather than in English is because maths is more precise. So anybody across the world, if they just know those basic Greek symbols, they can follow the line of logic that you wanted to convey. Uh, whereas if it's any other language, there is subjectivity there and that causes issues. So in economics, maths has a very particular role, which is conveying logic. Uh, and that for me is more interesting than just learning formulas and doing stuff with that. Yeah. Right, right. So logic over rote learning. Basically. Yeah. All right. And uh, as you've mentioned, the skill sets that are required by like for the subject of economics, as you said, they can be applied to a variety of fields. Yeah. So someone has asked uh, what different career options open up after doing economics? Okay. So that's a great question. Um, and yeah, maybe I'll miss out on some of the careers, but what I would say is that broadly you can divide them into four categories. Uh, so one is academia. Uh, so after you do your master's, typically you will have to do a PhD uh, before you can enter academia. Uh, so there you are like basically an assistant professor uh, at a research university or in a liberal arts university. Uh, and then you teach both undergrad and graduate students. Uh, that's a very lucrative option because among social sciences, economists are paid the most. Uh, so I think like last year, according to American Economic Association, uh, the median salary, the starting salary of an assistant professor was around 150,000 US dollars, which is at a very high end of salary distribution in the US. Um, so that's one option. The other option is to do policy work. So within that, there are all kinds of institutions. So there are institutions like World Bank, IMF, uh, International Food Policy Research Institute, uh, these places hire economists. Uh, the third option is to become a government consultant. Um, so that, so in the US, you can be employed as an economist in the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, in National Housing Board, and so on. Even in India, you can be in RBI, uh, Niti Aayog, so on and so forth. And finally, uh, it's the, there is the corporate sector. So within corporate sector, you one, one option is like these big tech companies. So like Amazon, Twitter, all these guys hire economists because economists are good at handling large data sets. Uh, and these companies have large data sets. So to solve their business problems, uh, the second option can be investment banking. So investment bankers uh, prefer economists. And third, you can also do consulting kind of work. So like Ernst & Young, Deloitte, uh, all these corporations also hire economists. So for these kind of jobs, PhD is not necessary. Uh, masters is also enough. 
But if you are looking at like a very high end policy institute like World Bank or IMF or academia, then PhD is required. Right. So as far as COVID is concerned, uh, what would you say? Uh, like how how has COVID impacted your field in particular? So it's been a tough year, uh, especially because uh, for economists like who do uh, any kind of field work. So that means that you go to the field uh, for asking questionnaires and stuff like that. So all that has stopped. Uh, all the conferences have stopped. So like, of course, everything is online, but that one-to-one -one interaction where you just meet someone over coffee or over dinner and discuss ideas. So those things have kind of stopped. Um, and for like a lot of tax economists, they deal with confidential data sets. So they deal with like, let's say your tax returns for all the income taxpayers. Uh, so that can only be accessed when you go to a government office and work on their computers. Uh, so during COVID, those, there are movement restrictions, so you can't do all those kinds of things. Um, so that has had an impact. Also, it has did have an impact on the intake of students in many US universities. So a few US universities actually did not take in any graduate students last year. So there was no admission of graduate PhD programs were shut down for almost a year. So that had a significant impact. Um, and also last year, the job market was pretty tight. So a lot of uh, graduating students did not get a job. And therefore, they were allowed to uh, be in school for another year. So this will have a cascading effect later on because the graduates of this year will again be on the job market next year. Right, right. So even if the pandemic gets, there would be a backlog of excess supply. And this will have an impact for at least a few years. All right. How does... PhD economics duration differ in different countries? Okay. Uh, so even within countries, so in US, uh, now the median age, median time to finish a PhD is around six years. Uh, but in many schools, it's becoming seven years. Um, in Europe, I would say it's still five years because they have a slightly different program. So they have MPhil plus PhD uh, in the same integrated program. But yeah, like realistically in any country you do, like it will take around six years. Right. I'll just take the last question from the Q&A box. Someone has asked, um, uh, what is your success mantra if you have one, of course? So yeah, I think I'm too junior to give any success mantras, but uh, one thing is for sure that uh, you should just have persistence and patience. So uh, at different points in time, I wanted to be a lawyer, a doctor, and a civil servant. Uh, but it was always economics that like kind of pushed me towards it. Um, and you just like, there could be like so many failures, but you just need one success. Uh, and that will change your life. So what I would say is that don't settle for something. Like if you don't think that's good enough for you, then that's not good enough for you. Uh, and you just have to keep up at it and just be patient. So it's fine. You don't have to compare yourself to your peers, 
uh, everyone has a different journey. Uh, so if your peers like are more successful than you and you are struggling to achieve what you want to achieve, it's fine. It will take time, but you will get it. And your 20s are meant for experimentation. So please like don't settle in your 20s. Like find out what your passion is and just keep doing it. Uh, if you know what it is already, great. Uh, but most of the people don't know it. So 20s should be for experimentation. Um, and if you just genuinely keep trying, you will you will get what you want. Persistence. Specifically. Yeah, persistence. I think persistence and patience. That it's fine. You can fail a lot of times, but be patient and it will come. All right. So I think they've covered most of the questions uh, which I wanted to ask as well as the questions which have come in the Q&A box. Are there any last words from yourself which you'd like to share? I would just say that economics is genuinely like a very interesting profession right now and in demand. So for instance, in US, the number of jobs are actually higher than the number of graduates each year. Uh, so there is, uh, there's a, there's a high, very high demand for this profession. Um, so, and there's, there's this constant innovation happening here. So like, if you are someone who is excited and who wants to learn every day, then this is like a very good option. Right. So I'd like to thank everyone who has joined us today. Thank you for having this conversation. I think it's super important to have these kinds of conversations and yeah, hopefully it will help some people. Right. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you.